Let us pray that God would bless us with his continually abiding presence, even this morning. Oh, Lord, we need you. We welcome you. We invite you. We desire your presence with us this morning. May your presence be known this morning as I preach. May your presence be known among every person in every seat as they hear and respond to your word this morning. May your presence be manifest in those who are serving in children's ministry right now, those who are serving as ushers. May we know your abiding presence. Lord, we lead us to pray that you want to answer. So we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, our mediator, Jesus Christ. Amen. Pursue God's presence. Well, as we've seen in Exodus, and as we'll see today, that God has redeemed us to dwell among us. But that idea didn't start in the book of Genesis. We see it in the beginning, back to the garden in the book of Genesis, that God has created us for intimacy with him. I love the phrase in Genesis 3.8, and they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I've always enjoyed taking walks. I love taking walks in the morning or at sundown. I love taking walks in our neighborhood. We have sidewalks on both sides. We have an oak tree canopy. When I'm taking walks in the morning, I see many others walking, perhaps walking their dog, biking, enjoying the cool of the day. Here we have in the garden, God, the Lord himself, walking in the neighborhood with Adam and Eve. The very garden, the very neighborhood that God himself created. The Lord God himself. But then came sin. So we read the second half of that verse in Genesis 3, verse 8. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And man, that is men, women, young and old, have been hiding from God ever since. Oh, but as you know, there was good news this morning. There was good news. But with Christ our Savior, Christ our mediator, we no longer need to hide We can seek God, and he can be found, and he can be experienced. Because God has saved us to dwell among us. He didn't just save us from hell. Oh, he did that and all of that. But that's all you believe. That's a truncated uh, version of Christianity. No, he came to save us, yes, from hell, but then to dwell among us, to dwell among his people. When Moses is speaking about the tabernacle, actually when God is speaking to Moses about the tabernacle and giving instructions, he says this in Exodus 29, verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord 
their God. This is seen most clearly in the command to build the tabernacle. Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God is saying, I have come. I am going to live among you. And the Israelites, they surely understood the significance of what God was saying. What did the people of God, what did the Israelites see when they saw a tabernacle? They didn't see what we see. I often see those odd-looking but fun homeschool projects of a tabernacle made of popsicle sticks, whatever, sugar cubes. They're wonderful, but when I look at it, it looks so foreign to me. This tabernacle, it's not my world. It's strange. It's wholly other. When I see the lampstands and the accoutrements and the altar, that's not the world in which I live. When I see the diagrams in my little Bible or my study Bible, that's not what the Israelites saw. You know what they saw when they saw the tabernacle? They saw a home. What was the tabernacle? It was a tent with two inner rooms, a yard, and a barbecue. That's what the tabernacle was. Sometimes we call it an altar. Where did the people live? They lived in tents with rooms, a yard, and a barbecue or stove. In other words, God was about to live with them in a tent side by side with theirs. For us today, it might be equivalent of seeing an RV, a recreational vehicle, much like the kind that I believe Jose and Al and others are going to rent at celebration. But this was a special tabernacle. This was a special tent. It wasn't just Pastor Al next to them in the neighboring RV. It was God himself parked next to his people. But it wasn't an ordinary RV, was it? No, this was a souped-up RV. This was the John Madden of RVs. If you know who John Madden is, I won't go into it. Sports announcer and commentator who travels around the U.S. in his special customized RV. Well, this RV was made of 2,193 pounds of gold, to be exact. Not to mention silver and bronze and copper and expensive blue dyes. Oh yes, this tabernacle spoke of the grandeur of its occupant. But don't miss the point. It says something greater that God has come to dwell among his people. When the people would travel eventually into the promised land, the Levites would pick up the tent, pack up God's tent, and they would go together. Once the people settled in the promised land, there was no more need for this mobile tabernacle. And of course, we read later on that they built a temple, a housing for God. But whether it was a temple or a tabernacle, it all pointed to this fact, that God has come to dwell among his people. And it all pointed to one person, Jesus Christ. God's presence as seen in Christ. You see, the tabernacle foreshadowed the coming of Christ Where did I get that? Ah, from the Gospel of John, from the Apostle John, as he opens up in the first chapter of his Gospel, the book of John. He wants to leave no doubt in the mind of his readers. He wants to make the connection between Christ and the tabernacle in the very beginning of his Gospel. When he says in John 1, verse 14, oh, this is good. And the Word, that is Christ, Christ, 
became flesh and dwelt among us. That word for dwelt in the Greek is he tented. Literally, he tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Moses nor the Israelites were able to see God's glory, but we, as a people of God, now can see God's glory. It is Christ who took on flesh and came to dwell, came to tabernacle among us. Isn't that cool? I love the connections in Scripture. Church, it is in and through Christ that we experience the presence and the glory of God. Through Christ, we experience God's presence and glory by exalting, by savoring, by serving, by worshiping, by proclaiming, by sharing. Christ, we experience God's presence. But you may say this morning, but Corey, Christ is no longer with us. He is no longer in the flesh walking upon this earth. That is true. But when Christ ascended to heaven, he said, I am sending you my promised Holy Spirit to dwell among you and yes, to fill you. He sent his Holy Spirit to fill his church, to fill us with his presence. God's presence is now made manifest in the church by his Holy Spirit. We can know God's presence as seen in Christ and now as manifested in his church of the Holy Spirit. That's the point of Pentecost. That's the point of Acts 2, verses 2 through 4. Christ sent his Holy Spirit to come down like a cloud of fire to make his church, to make his people into a tabernacle of God. God indwelt his people in the storm, in the fiery imagery that would have been very familiar to those read up in the Old Testament, those of Exodus, as we read Acts chapter 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As the church, we are the temple. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. The church is the corporate place of God's dwelling. It is through the Holy Spirit that we experience the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our midst. There's something special when we gather in Christ's name. A couple more verses for you. I want you to hear, I want you to, I want you to have confidence this morning. This is not to be imported into the text. This is a biblical theology, a theme of God's presence that you can bank on in your prayers and in your life. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The you there is plural. You collective. Yes, he dwells in us individually. That's 1 Corinthians 6. But I want you to catch this point. He dwells uniquely among us, collectively, as a church, as a body, as his temple. And then we also read in Ephesians 
22 as well. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ah, do you see it? God is building something special here at Palm Vista. It's all of his grace. He is building a church, a people of God, who manifest his glory and who experience his presence on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, and in between as well. But catch this as well. We are called to respond to his grace. We are called to participate in this building project with all our heart. Church, don't miss as well. This point as well. And it leads us to our second main point. Pursue God's presence with all your heart. There's a lot of fuzzy thinking when it comes to pursuing God's presence or experiencing God today in evangelicalism. Myth or misconception number one. Experiencing God's presence is primarily a passive experience. Lord, I'm yours. Just zap me. We're not into zap theology here at Palm Vista, okay? Lord, I'm in bed. If you want me out of bed, just zap me. Pentecost 2, right now. Come down, Lord. <laughs> you may, but watch out, okay? <laughs> oh. You see, I believe God can and does reveal his presence and power even when we're not looking or seeking him. It's called grace. It's called salvation. <laughs> I wasn't looking for God, but he was looking for me and won my heart. But to assume that he will do so, visit us with his presence, without seeking, without any obedience on our part, that's not pursuing. That's presuming upon God's presence. Let us not presume, church, upon God's presence. Misconception or myth number two. Pursuing God's presence means running around to catch the latest revival movement, the latest crusade or spirit-filled church. Hey, where's God moving? Let me go there so I too can get zapped, okay? Hey, I heard there's a healing service over there or in Lakeland, Florida, wherever. Let's go there. Church, you can experience God's presence right here at Palm Vista. You don't need to go anywhere. We pursue God's presence not by running around, but by responding. Not by running around, but responding to God's grace. How do we respond to his grace? Simply this, by obeying his word and giving to his work. I want to read now the text for this morning. I'm not going to read the entire text. Most of it Al has already preached on in a previous sermon. I want to touch on the very first chapter or two, which is really the unique part of this narrative that we can learn from this morning as we desire and seek to pursue God's presence. So let's open up to Exodus chapter 35. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Exodus 35, starting with verse 1. As you turn there, let me give you a little preface here. God is basically taking off in chapter 35 where he left off in chapter 31. In chapters 25 through 31, God gave instructions for the building of the tabernacle. That is what Al walked us through a month or two ago. But what happened in those intervening three chapters? Well, a lot happened. The golden calf, to name one. 
in light of Moses' great disappearing act on Mount Sinai, the people desired God's presence. Well, we don't see God. Where is he? I know. We'll make our own God a golden calf. God in his mercy spared his people and raised up a mediator. Now we're back to chapter 35 and he's taken off from where he left off in chapter 31. Oh, you want to know God's presence? Let me tell you, you can know God's presence. But you must obey me precisely if you want to know me in my presence. He says in chapter 35, verse 1. Let me read. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to the congregation of the people of Israel, This is a thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onk stones, stones and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Verse 10, let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. All that the Lord has commanded. God is saying, you want to know my presence? Obey me and serve me, starting with the Sabbath and now my instructions to build the tabernacle. How do we seek? How do we secure? How do we experience God's presence? By obeying his word. It's clear from the text. The Lord is to be worshipped and his presence is to be known as he directs and as he allows. So why are these six chapters regarding the tabernacle repeated here at the end of Exodus? This repetition says a lot about the importance of the tabernacle. But there's something more that I want you to see. The author wants you to know, big author God, wants you to know that the people of God obeyed God's instructions precisely as according to what the Lord had commanded. Perhaps you feel your heart is cold this morning. An intimacy with God is absent or lacking. You believe that God has come to dwell among his people. You can even recount stories of the past where you experienced God's presence through tears of joy, through conviction, through quiet solace, or an emboldened faith. But it's been a long time. I don't know all the reasons why, but I do know this, that Jesus in his own words said this in John 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Catch this. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you catch that? Listen, our obedience cannot earn or cannot 
demand God's presence. But our obedience opens the door for God's abiding, benevolent presence. Are you opening the door this morning through your obedience in every aspect of God's word? Is there any area of your life this morning, perhaps in your marriage, perhaps in your dealing with finances, perhaps in your commitment to a local church, where you're disobeying? If so, I urge you this morning to repent. Come to the blood of Jesus, our mediator. Receive his forgiving grace and power to change that you might know the blessing of obedience and the presence of the Lord. I have prayed that prayer hundreds of times for my children. After I disciplined them, I pray they got to open their eyes and see they would see their need for a Savior. And then I pray, Lord, may they know the blessing of obedience. May you know the blessing of God's presence that comes through obedience. And it's disobedience, friends, that finds expression in the church. In calling us to obedience to his word, God is calling us to give to his work. What is God's work? What is God's doing? What is God doing? He's building. He's building a church right here. This is one local expression of it called Palm Vista Community Church. And that work which he is building, he fills with his presence. That I know. Undoubtedly, most of you have been watching the Beijing Olympics. One of my favorite Olympic stories goes back to Eric Little. Eric, a sprinter, won the gold medal and set a new world record back in the 1924 Olympics in the 400-meter race. He was a man who knew the blessing of obedience. He's a man who knew God's presence. Perhaps his most famous quote, or at least that of the movie, has been immortalized in the movie Chariots of Fire. And it is this, quoting Eric Little, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel his presence. Eric Little knew his purpose. After he won the gold medal, he spent nearly 20 years as a missionary serving God's church in China. He died in a concentration camp in Japan 20 years later of a brain tumor and typhoid. And it's said that all of Scotland mourned for this man. This is a man who knew his purpose and he ran with passion and he experienced God's presence in doing so. Do you know God's pleasure this morning? Do you know God's presence? We experience God when we serve with our gifts as he has made us, when we give ourselves to God's pursuit. What if each of us could say right here this morning, God made me good with numbers. God made me good and clever with my hands. God made me gifted in hospitality, and I feel his pleasure when I give. Like Bezalel and Aholiab in chapter 36, who are literally filled, it says in the text, with skill, that is wisdom, with intelligence, with craftsmanship by God to build his tabernacle. God is asking you to build something here at Palm Vista. 
Oh, it's not a tabernacle filled with smoke or fire, but a church where God wants to manifest his glory. God doesn't need millionaires to do that. He doesn't need slick marketing. He doesn't need a beautiful church building. I wouldn't mind all those, to be honest. But you know what? He doesn't need any of those. He wants you. He wants you. He wants your obedience and your giving of your talents, of your treasures, of your time, of your sacrifice for his glory. How do we pursue God's presence? We obey his word. And yes, we give to his work by giving freely to his work. Let us read Exodus 35. And I'm going to read select verses starting at verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Verse 25. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose heart stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. Verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. And now skipping to Exodus 36, verse 3. I'll read that through verse 7. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. (laughs) Can you imagine... Al Ryder up here, or Jose on a Sunday morning. It's time to receive the tithes and the offerings. I ask that each one of you refrain from giving any tithes and offerings this morning. Our pastor's college fund is overflowing with money. Our building fund, we have too much. Our church budget, we don't have to do with all the money. Stop! Oh, what an amazing scene. Oh, Lord, may it be. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, What we have a picture here of is people who are stirred by the Holy Spirit to joyfully give. But to joyfully give in order that God's presence may be manifest and experienced. These are people who are not holding back from God. We can give with all our hearts. We can pursue Him with all our hearts. Because God is in the business of stirring hearts. 
for what he's building and for his purpose. Are you holding back this morning? I'd like to read a quote that provoked me this week in my preparation from one commentator on the book of Exodus. He says this, When the Lord willed to come and to live at the center of the people's lives in the tabernacle, he imposed on them an obligation to devote their choicest and best to the enterprise. This no doubt involves sacrifice on their part, but they were called to make the decision to hold nothing back in order to secure the Lord's indwelling presence. To put it simply, they had to decide if they wanted the Lord among them or not. It's a choice we all have to make, friends. Do you want to experience God's indwelling presence in your life here at Palm Vista Community Church? The book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 6, says this. We've been, we prayed to this this week in preparation for the Sunday, but also for Celebration South in our conference ahead. Paul is saying this to the church. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Get the picture? God stirring hearts, God equipping his saints to build his church and thus to experience his indwelling presence as we meet together. Are you holding back? For some of you this morning, I believe God would say, dive in. You are perched at the end of a diving board. You see the clear, cool water below of God's presence. But you're scared. You're scared of losing control. You've dipped your toes in the water, but you have not not entered. You've touched, but you have not tasted the Lord's presence and goodness as experienced here among his people. God is saying to you this morning, I believe, if that is you, dive in. Stop holding back. Commit. Commit to my church. Wait in my presence. Let me fill you. Let me wash over you. Let me cleanse you with my presence. For some, that may be today. For others, that may be at our celebration conference just a week away. Oh, why is it so important? You see, this is not just about you. It's about you. But it's just about much more than just you and your personal fulfillment or personal spiritual experience. There's much more at stake here. What's at stake is God's witness and God's glory. We read back in Exodus 33, the verse that I opened up with this morning. I'll read verses 15 and then 16. And he, that's Moses, said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? 
Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Friends, what defines us as a people? Right here. What makes us distinct? It's not that we have Bibles in our hands. It's not that we have a place to meet on Sunday. It's not that we're innately holier or better than anyone outside these doors. It's not that we have sound doctrine, per se. It's not that we sing upbeat worship songs with the congas. It's not that we meet in small groups, home groups, or have accountability relationships. Many other churches who preach a false gospel do this. What makes us distinct as God's people is that we are sinners saved by God's grace who display the presence and aroma of Christ to all peoples, to a watching world. We're not going to be the largest church. We're not going to be distinct by size. We're not going to be the slickest church in terms of our multimedia. We're working on it, but we're not going to be. We're not going to be a church, most likely, with a beautiful church building. That's the reality. But we will be a church that pursues and practices the presence of God in our midst. That is my prayer for us this morning. That is my prayer for us as a church. That people could walk through these doors on a Sunday morning. And they'd be greeted with warmth and affection. As I know they are. I get feedback continually. I love that. They would see people who love one another. And they would say, God is here. When they walk back to children's ministry and they see the artisanship, the craftsmanship, the fine detail and effort put into children's ministry, not just in the decorations, but also they see the work and the attitude of those serving. And they would say, God is here. When they meet and come to our sanctuary, so to speak, right here in the lower bowl, they would experience God's presence. And they would be able to say, God is here. Friends, that is my desire. God's presence can look a lot of different ways. It may be the tears of gratitude and joy. Maybe exuberant times of worship or prayer. It may be a rising surge, a rising of faith or boldness to proclaim his name. May it be, Lord. It may be supernatural service beyond our strength. It may be serving in secret when no one notices. This presence can be manifested a lot of different ways, can it not? But however it looks, God's presence among us is the gospel of Jesus Christ being worked out in our lives through our obedience and service to him and his church. So when people come to Palm Vista, when they meet you, when they meet me, they may say, God is surely here among us. And may the result be worship. Let's pray. Dear Lord, fill us with your presence. We come weekly. 
we come very aware of our sin this morning. We come very aware of our shortcomings. Oh, Lord, we need your grace. Not only to forgive us, but at times to push us, to give us that nudge, to dive in and say, I will commit to you and your purposes, to what you are building. Lord, I want to experience your presence among your people. Lord, I want to know you're a dwelling. Presence. Lord, come now. Fill us as we worship and give you all the praise and glory as your people. Amen. Please stand.